So now we are going to move on to the picture of a very cute little foal. So for those of you who love horses, that's a lovely photo, isn't it? Uh, for some of you, it may just uh, completely pass you by. But uh, guess how much this little fellow is worth, estimated value. Anybody want to guess, apart from Mandy? <laughs> Good question. Well, the, the fact that I'm raising it as a question means it's worth probably a lot of money, isn't it? Well, this little fellow is estimated uh, being worth over a million pounds. So, um, a lot of money. And so far, it's done nothing apart from look cute, feed from its mother, and probably run around a little bit. And yet it's worth over a million pounds. And the reason he's worth so much is because of his bloodline. The mother is Annie Power, a champion hurdle winner over jumps. And the father is Galileo, who won the Epsom Derby on the flat. Two incredibly uh, successful horses. And that bloodline means that this foal is hugely valuable even before he's done anything. On the day that Jesus was baptized by his cousin John, he came up out of the water. The heavens were torn open and the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove and God the Father spoke. A voice from heaven said, this is my own dearly loved son and I'm pleased with him. Isn't that lovely? To have that as an audible voice come from heaven must have been a, a very special thing. And this happened right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And up until this point, he hadn't actually really done anything. There had been no public teaching, no miracles, you know, no raising from the dead, no multiplying of food. Jesus was just an ordinary guy from an ordinary town. And this statement is all about Jesus' identity, that he was a son of God the Father, that he was loved, and that the Father was pleased with him. And notice that the Father's delight and pleasure is not linked to what Jesus had or hadn't done. It's completely independent of that. His delight was because of relationship and not performance. And when God looks at you, his delight in you is not because of what you've done, but because you're his child. And conversely, God is not displeased with you because of what you've done or haven't done, what you've missed out. He's pleased with you because of your identity. You are his child, and he loves you more than you could possibly understand. And it is from that identity that we find the freedom to do and to be the people that God created us to be. And I think it is only when we understand that foundation that we really have the freedom to be able to move ahead and do everything God's called us to do. But our value is not in what we do. We're not human doings. We're human beings, even though our culture says the opposite, doesn't it? We reward people according to what they do. But God doesn't. Our value, our identity is in being God's own children. And just as that, value, that foal is hugely valuable because, because of its bloodline, so you and I are valuable 
to God because of your spiritual bloodline. Another verse that talks about this comes in Romans 8, verse 6. His spirit, God's spirit, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. We are joint heirs, as some of the versions put it. Our value comes from the fact that we are God's children, and then that opens up everything else. Our potential is incredible. If you look at Jesus, the person who has had more impact on history than any other person, we have the same potential because we are joint heirs with Jesus of the Father, of the same promises and blessings that came to Jesus. We are heirs of all God's resources in heaven. Nothing is impossible for us if God calls us to do it. And it's all based upon our true identity, which we've been looking at recently. Made in the image of God, but also his dearly loved children with whom he is really pleased. And I don't know whether you can hear that this morning from God the Father, that he is really pleased with you. Because we have so many other voices, don't we? We have voices from our parents, from our teachers, from our employers, our line managers, who don't always say it quite the same way that the Bible says it. And sometimes those voices are louder than God's voice to us. So let's look at this uh, slightly differently using another story that Jesus told. He told a story that there was a man who had two sons. The youngest son came to him and asked for his inheritance before it was due. So the father made some arrangements. He sold some land, you know, must have been quite inconvenient. And then he gave his son a huge pile of money. The son had no respect for his father, no respect for his family, or for the hard work that had gone into earning that money. And so a couple of days later, he moved away to a big city and started living a party lifestyle. But as you can imagine, after a little while, the money ran out, and uh, his good time friends disappeared as well. He was left completely on his own in a foreign land with nothing. In his desperation, he took the only job that was available that he could find, and it was feeding pigs. The most disgraceful, the most humbling job for a respectable or formerly respectable Jewish boy. He was so hungry that he even longed to eat the pig swill. You have to be hungry for that. Um, but no one gave him anything. But at least he had time to think. And we're told in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be, of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I don't think this is the conniving and manipulation that we might expect from the younger son earlier in the story. I think this is a genuine recognition of just how far he's fallen, just how awful his situation is, and 
there's at least some recollection there, isn't there, of, of the goodness of his father. And so he began the long journey home. But what he didn't realize was that his father had been waiting. Every day the father was looking for his return. And when the father saw his son in the distance, he picked up his robes and he ran. And for the father to run was also a very disgraceful thing for a respectable person to do. It's uh, still the same in Central Asia. But I wonder what the son thought when he saw the father hurtling towards him. Probably with a red face because he wasn't used to running. I wonder what he expected, what, what sort of a response he thought he was going to get. And yet we're told that the father ran filled with love and compassion. And the son started his pre-rehearsed monologue, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father just cuts across what he's saying. Quicker to forgive than the son was to turn back. And the father called to the servants and said, bring him the finest clothing and put a signet ring on his finger, both indicators of his identity as a son. And then the father threw an extravagant feast because the son he loved had returned home. The elder son returned home after a hard day's work out in the fields, hot and sweaty. And he heard loud music and he heard celebration and he smelt some beautiful smells wafting on the breeze. And he was outraged. Angrily, he ranted at his father. Verse 29, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money with prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. He was livid. But his father responded, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but is now found. The problem is neither son understood their identity. The younger son thought he should be treated like a slave because of what he'd done. When he came to his senses, he realized just what an awful mess he'd made of his life and how that had affected other people. But his identity was a son, not a slave. A disobedient, a foolish son, yes, but that didn't change his identity. See, when we disobey God, it doesn't change our identity. We may be disobedient children, foolish children, but we still remain God's dearly loved children. His attitude towards us doesn't change. We don't go from being God's children back to being filthy sinners. Jesus saved us from that. And our identity has been changed. We have been born out of darkness into light, out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom and into his family, his children. And just because of what we do, it doesn't change that. You are no longer a sinner 
you are a child of God. So don't ever think of yourself as a sinner because that's not your identity. You may have heard me sometimes say, I'm a broken man in need of a saviour. Well, that is a bit of shorthand that I put in to try and stop putting, people putting me up on a pedestal because if, as a leader, people tend to do that. Um, you'll be pleased to hear Jesus has saved me and I am being changed to be more like him. I'm not perfect and I will resist that kind of uh, image that try, people try and put on me. So the, the younger son clearly misunderstood his identity, but the older son also misunderstood his identity because he was trying to get his value from what he did rather than from his identity as a son. And so he turned to legalism. For us, that would be religion, lots of rules, lots of ought-tos and ought-not-tos, but no freedom to really enjoy who he was a dearly loved son. And the father's attitude towards him is exactly the same. You know, he says there, everything I have is yours. All you had to do is ask. It's all yours. You know, you don't have to get your identity from all this hard work. You don't have to try and win my approval by what you're doing because I love you completely and, you know, you can't do any more to add to that because I already love you more than you could possibly receive and understand. As we said earlier, we are heirs of the Father. Uh, that incredible resource is there. Everything I have is yours. Everything the Father has is ours because we are his children. The younger son thought he would be rejected because of what he had done, and the older th son thought he would be accepted because of what he had done. Neither of them realized that we are accepted because of who we are. And it's only once we're secure in who we are as God's children that we have freedom to be the people that God created us to be. And that's a really important point. And you might even want to write that down somewhere. It is only once we are secure in who we are as God's children that we have the freedom to be the people God created us to be. Because otherwise... Our identity is either criticizing us all the time, saying, look at all these terrible things you've done. You're not good enough. Or it's saying to us, you need to try harder. You need to do more. You need to do this in order for God to love you. Rather than just being able to accept, I am completely and utterly loved by my Heavenly Father and nothing can change that. And I'm going to enjoy that and I'm going to live my life from that position. And for some of us, we know it up here, don't we? We know it as head knowledge. And it needs to slip down to being heart knowledge so that we are truly free to be able to enjoy that. Because our identity unlocks our destiny. When we truly understand who we are, who God has made us to be, we understand that nothing is impossible for God and nothing is impossible for us when we're walking with God. When we move from the poverty mindset of religion to the possibility mindset of sonship, daughtership. Now, the younger son was right in that he was going to be much better off coming back to the father. He just had no idea how much better off he was going to be. And the older son was right. There is a lot to be done. 
You know, there is stuff to be done, isn't there? But he was doing it out of legalism. There was no joy. If Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know, there's, there's important stuff to do, and it does feed us, and it rewards us. And, but he, Jesus' identity was a son. It wasn't because of what he did. I came across uh, this letter some while ago. It was, um, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's, it's a good one. It's supposedly written by a school principal in Singapore and sent out to the parents just before the children's exams. Dear parents, the exams of your children are to start soon. I know you're all really anxious for your child to do well. But please do remember, amongst the students who will be sitting for the exams, there will be an artist who doesn't need to understand maths. There's an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history or English literature. There is a musician whose chemistry marks won't matter. There's an athlete. His physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child does not get top marks, if your child does get top marks, that's great. But he, if he or she doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay. It's just an exam. You might not want to say that to your professor, but um, it's just an exam. They are cut out for much bigger things in life. Tell them no matter what they score, you love them and you'll not judge them. Please do this, and when you do, watch your children conquer the world. One exam or a low mark won't take away their dreams and talent, and please do not think that doctors and engineers are the only happy people in the world. I thought that summed it up rather nicely. Uh, and that is God's attitude towards us as well. Your Heavenly Father knows you better than you know yourself. He doesn't rebuke you when you get things wrong, so... Please don't transfer onto him the displeasure of your parents, of your teachers, and of other people who have been in authority over you. A lot of people do that. And we assume that God's attitude towards us is the same as the attitude of other people who have disproved of us in some way. But God doesn't do that. We've simply transferred onto him a lie. God sees you differently. He loves you differently. He values you differently. You have the potential to change the world just as Jesus did because God put that potential there. You are created in God's image. You are his dearly loved child. He doesn't criticize. He doesn't complain at you and nag at you. And all his resources are available to you. But it's only when we truly understand our identity that we have the freedom to be able to use joyfully those resources and not abuse them. And there is a lot to be done, isn't there? There are lots of sons and daughters who need to be found and brought home to the unconditional love of the Father. There are people in chains of darkness who need to have the freedom of the light that Jesus brings. There are people under the weight of obligation and false expectations who need to experience the Prince of Peace. So we have a job to do. But we do that job out of the security of knowing who we are, out of knowing we are completely accepted and loved and that we have God's resources available to us. The fall we saw at the beginning was valuable because of his bloodline. 
Jesus received his value from his heavenly Father and received that identity as a dearly loved son. And the Father said that to him several times, didn't he, in an audible voice through his ministry. And we need to hear that. We need to come back to it time and time again because the world will seek to rob us of our true identity because Satan knows just how dangerous we are when we truly understand who we are. Like Jesus, we are children of our Heavenly Father. And if we turn away from him like the youngest son, we lose all the benefits of relationship with God and who he created us to be. And resources run out, whereas with God they never do. If we turn away like the oldest son and try and find our identity through what we do and what we have, we also lose the benefits of relationship with God and who he created us to be. In both cases, the older and the younger son had to turn back to the father. The Bible calls that repentance. Turning from one way, turning from going our own way, and the word literally means to do 180 degrees, to go the opposite way, to instead of going our own way, we go God's way instead. To turn from our own agenda for life and to take on a new God-given direction and agenda. And then everything we do as God's children and as his trusted ambassadors will overflow with the benefits and the blessings from that identity. And we'll, we will fulfill our destiny as God's world changes. So we say to people, come as you are, just as the younger son did. He came as he, as he was, probably smelling of pigs and yet this he still received the most wonderful hug from the Father. So we come as we are, but we don't let that limit what God wants to do in us and through us. And so I'd encourage you to take time to think about God's identity. And it may be that each day you need to come with some verses from the Bible that help you to just get your... Um, it's like getting a compass back on north again. Because so many of the words that are spoken to us, so many of the things that we experience, pull us away from the truth. And so we come back to the truth. And eventually our emotions will start to line up with the truth if we do that. So find some verses in the Bible that speak to you personally. Uh, I can give you some, but they may not touch you in the same way they touch me. You may need to find your own. And allow God to start to rebuild your identity as his child. Because there are things that God wants to do through his people that uh, will go down in history if history continues after that. You know. Because revival is coming. And uh, this revival is going to come through people who are secure in their identity as God's children. People who have the, the security to be able to step out and do things that look quite crazy, look really out there. But we can do it because we are completely secure in who God calls us to be. Let's stand together. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. 
Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And so just as Jesus spoke, or the Father spoke to Jesus, the Father says to us today, you are my own dearly loved child, and I'm pleased with you. And Father, we ask that you help us to receive that. So come Holy Spirit.